Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. I'm so happy to be with you. How are you doing? I am terrific. My voice a little hoarse, but I am terrific. And it's so good to be with you. And what a special time of the year we have begun this week. It is Passion Tide. This is, yesterday was Passion Sunday. This is Passion Week leading up to Holy Week, which begins with Palm Sunday this following Sunday. And this is uh, two weeks where we should cover every religious item in our home uh, covered with purple um, and truly uh, read wonderful books about our Lord's passion and accompany him on his way to the cross for us, for us. It's the holiest time of the year. I know that Advent is very special with the coming of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the flesh as a babe. Um, what could be greater than that? But he came to die, and we're approaching that season where he will be crucified by the people he came to save. But without the resurrection, he'd be a dead hero. So Easter is the resurrection of the Messiah from the dead, and every Sunday is a mini Easter. Every Sunday is the Sunday of the resurrection. And I'm going to spend these two weeks on much about Passion Tide and, um, and Holy Week and then Easter. Um, and Dom Garanger is just about my favorite. And since he's the Benedictine who restored Gregorian chant and the Benedictine order to France and to Europe, um, we are reading from his liturgical year, The History of Passion Tide and Holy Week. After having proposed the 40 days fast of Jesus in the desert to the meditation of the faithful during the first four weeks of Lent, the Holy Church gives the two weeks which still remain before Easter to the commemoration of the Passion. She would not have her children come to that great day of the immolation of the Lamb without having prepared for it by compassionating with him in the sufferings he endured in their stead. The most ancient sacramentaries and antiphonaries of the several churches attest by the prayers, the lessons, and the whole liturgy of these two weeks that the passion of our Lord is now the one sole thought of the Christian world. We just came from Mass, dear ones, where all the statues and the crucifixes and the holy objects are clothed in purple because it's a sign of where we would be if the world without Christ, if he hadn't come, if he hadn't died for us, if he hasn't risen from the dead. I'll repeat this last sentence. The most ancient sacramentaries and antiphonaries of the several churches attest by the prayers, the lessons, and the whole liturgy of these two weeks that the passion of our Lord is now the one sole thought 
of the Christian world. During Passion Week, a saint's feast, if it occur, will be kept, but Passion Sunday admits no feast, however solemn it may be. And even on those which are kept during the days intervening between Passion and Palm Sunday, there is always made a commemoration of the Passion, and the holy images are not allowed to be uncovered. We cannot give any historical details upon the first of these two weeks. Its ceremonies and rites have always been the same as those of the four preceding ones. It would be out of place to enter here on a discussion with regard to the name Midiana, under which title we find Passion Sunday, mentioned both in ancient liturgies and in canon law. We therefore refer the reader to the following chapter in which we treat of the mysteries peculiar to Passiontide. The second week, on the contrary, now this is again the first week of Passiontide, the second week begins Holy Week. It furnishes us with abundant historical details, for there is no portion of the liturgical year which has interested the Christian world so much as this, or which has given rise to such fervent manifestations of piety. This week was held in great veneration, even as early as the 3rd century, as we learn from St. Denis, Bishop of Alexandria, who lived at that time. In the following century, we find St. John Chrysostom calling it the Great Week. Not, says the Holy Doctor, that it has more days in it than other weeks, or that its days are made up of more hours than other days, but we call it great because of the great mysteries which are then celebrated. We find it called also by other names. It's called the Painful Week on account of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the fatigue required from us in celebrating them. It's called the week also of indulgence because sinners are then received to penance. And lastly, Holy Week, in allusion to the holiness of the mysteries which are commemorated during these seven days. This last name is the one under which it most generally goes with us, and the very days themselves are in many countries called by the same. Same name, Holy Monday, Holy Tuesday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. The severity of the Lenten fast is increased during these its last days. The whole energy of the spirit of penance is now brought out, even with us, the dispensation which allows the use of eggs ceases toward the middle of this week. The Eastern churches, faithful to their ancient traditions, have kept up a most rigorous abstinence ever since the Monday of Quinquagesima week. During the whole of this long period, which they call um, xerophagia, I'm sure I haven't pronounced that correctly. They have been allowed nothing but dry food. In the early ages, fasting during Holy Week was carried to the utmost limits that human nature could endure. We learn from St. Epiphanius that there were some of the Christians who observed a strict fast from Monday morning to cock crow of Easter Sunday. Of course, it must have been very few of the faithful who could go so far as this. 
Many pass two, three, and even four consecutive days without tasting any food. But the general practice was to fast from Monday, Thursday evening to Easter morning. Many Christians in the East and in Russia observe this fast even in these times. Would that such severe penance were always accompanied by a firm faith and union with the Church, out of which the merit of such penitential works is of no avail for salvation? Another of the ancient practices of Holy Week were the long hours spent during the night in the churches on Monday, Thursday, after having, that's Holy Thursday, after having celebrated the divine mysteries in remembrance of the Last Supper, the faithful continued a long time in prayer. The night between Friday and Saturday was spent in almost uninterrupted vigil in honor of our Lord's burial. But the longest of all these vigils was that of Saturday, which was kept up till Easter Sunday morning. The whole congregation joined in it. They assisted at the final preparation of the catechumens, as also at the administration of baptism, nor did they leave the church until after the celebration of the holy sacrifice, which was not over until sunrise. Cessation from servile work was for a long time an obligation during Holy Week. The civil law united with that of the church. Can you imagine such a world to live in today, dear ones, that the civil law united with that of the church in order to bring about this solemn rest from toil and business, which so eloquently expresses the state of mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, of the Christian world, The thought of the sufferings and death of Jesus was the one pervading thought. The divine offices in prayer were the sole occupation of the people, and indeed, all the strength of the body was needed for the support of the austerities of fasting and abstinence. We can readily understand what an impression was made upon men's minds during the whole of the rest of the year. By this universal suspension of the ordinary routine of life, moreover, when we call to mind how for five full weeks the severity of Lent had waged war on the sensual appetites, we can imagine the simple and honest joy wherewith was welcomed the feast of Easter, which brought both the regeneration of the soul and respite to the body. In the preceding volume, we mentioned the laws of the Theodosian Code, which forbade all law business during the 40 days preceding Easter. The Law of Gratian and Theodosius, which was published in 380, was extended by Theodosius in 389. This new decree forbade all pleadings during the seven days before and the seven days after Easter. We meet with several allusions to this then in recent law, in the homilies of St. John Chrysostom and in the sermons of St. Augustine. In virtue of this decree, each of these 15 days was considered, as far as the courts of law were concerned, as a Sunday. Oh, that our society would honor our Lord so today. We'll be right back. 
Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm. Too many things to take care of, too many people to please, too much work to do. And in spite of their best efforts, they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. That's why Stand Tall Today has experienced professional coaches that will assist you in dialing down that overwhelm. They'll help you get a grasp on where you are and to create a plan that enables you to take bite-sized steps of action so you can live an abundant life. Why not take your first step right now? Go to StandTallToday.com and find a coach that is just right for you. Because life is simply too short to stay lost in a sea of overwhelm. This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. As part of our efforts to teach the beauty of our faith, we're broadcasting a special educational lesson every Wednesday called Lessons in Latin. I'm Canon Bourgeois, a priest of the Institute of Christ the King's Sovereign Priest. These mini teachings break down the history of the various parts of the Holy Mass. You can hear Lessons in Latin on Wednesdays at approximately 5.15 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and 9.40 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Lessons in Latin Wednesdays at 5.15 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and 9.40 p.m. on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. It raises the question, I think, for a convert like me or for a cradle Catholic is, why are we seeing the human leadership of the Catholic Church steer the Church in a direction that doesn't seem consistent with Catholicism of the last 1900 years? That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are reading the history of... um, of Passion Tide, which begins, uh, which began yesterday with Passion Sunday, and will uh, continue this follow all through the week for two weeks, and lead up to Palm Sunday, the next Sunday, and then to our Lord's uh, his, his death on Good Friday and resurrection on Easter Sunday. We were just reading how society in the past, not too long past, but early church, um, they celebrated. The law offices were closed. No trials were held. And all of civilization prepared for Easter. What a fairy tale that seems to us today. Christian princes were not satisfied with the mere suspension of human justice during these days, which are so emphatically days of mercy. They would moreover pay homage by an external act to the fatherly goodness of God, who has deigned to pardon a guilty world through the merits of the death of his son. The church was on the point of giving reconciliation to repentant sinners who had broken the chains of sin whereby they were held captives. Christian princes were ambitious to imitate this, their mother, 
and ordered that prisoners should be loosed from their chains, that the prisons should be thrown open, and that freedom should be restored to those who had fallen under the sentence of human tribunals. The only exception made was that of criminals whose freedom would have exposed their families or society to great danger. The name of Theodosius stands prominent in these acts of mercy. We're told by St. John Chrysostom that his emperor sent letters of pardon to the several cities, ordering the release of prisoners and granting life to those that had been condemned to death, and all this in order to sanctify the days preceding the Easter feast. The last emperors made a law of this custom, as we find in one of St. Leo's sermons, where he thus speaks of their clemency. The Roman emperors, quote, the Roman emperors have long observed his holy practice. In honor of our Lord's passion and resurrection, they humbly withhold the exercise of their sovereign justice, and laying aside the severity of their laws, they grant pardon to a great number of criminals. Their intention in this is to imitate the divine goodness by their own exercise of clemency during these days, when the world owes its salvation to the divine mercy. Let them, let then the Christian people imitate their princes, and let the example of kings induce subjects to forgive each other their private wrongs. For surely it is absurd that private laws should be less unrelenting than those which are public. Let trespasses be forgiven. Let bonds be taken off. Let offenses um, be forgotten. Let revenge be stifled, that thus the sacred feast may, by both divine and human favors, find us all happy and innocent. This Christian amnesty was not confined to the Theodosian Code. We find traces of it in the laws of several of our Western countries. We may mention France as an example. Under the first race of its kings, St. Eligius, Bishop of Noyon, in a sermon for Monday Thursday, thus expresses himself, On this day, when the Church grants indulgence to penitents and absolution to sinners, magistrates also relent in their severity and grant pardon to the guilty. Throughout the whole world, prisons are thrown open, princes show clemency to criminals, masters forgive their slaves. Under the second race, we learn from the Capitularia of Charlemagne that bishops had a right to exact from the judges for the love of Jesus Christ, as it is expressed, that prisoners should be set free on the days preceding Easter. We learn from the same Capitularia that this privilege was also extended to Christmas and Pentecost. And should the magistrates refuse to obey, the bishops could refuse them admission into the church. And lastly, under the third race, we find Charles VI, after quelling the rebellion of Rouen, giving orders later on that the prisoners should be set at liberty because it was a painful week and very near to the Easter feast. Oh, when I read that, beloved, 
that magistrates should magistrates, magistrates, lawyers of the city refuse to obey. The bishops could refuse them admission to the church. Now we give admission to um, a heretic and fallen away Catholic like President Biden and even give him the Holy Sacrament, the Eucharist. Complete sacrilege. Shame on any bishop or priest who would give communion to one who spreads such evil and practices such evil and sacrilege in his life. That's true of any Catholic, but especially those in public office. Dom Dom Geringa, sorry, Dom Geringa continues, a last vestige of this merciful legislation was a custom observed by the Parliament of Paris. The ancient Christian practice of suspending its sessions during the whole of Lent had long been abolished. It was not till the Wednesday of Holy Week that the house was closed, which it continued to be from that day until after Low Sunday. Low Sunday is the Sunday after Easter. It's the one on which we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday now. On the Tuesday of Holy Week, which was the last day granted for audiences, the Parliament repaired to the palace prisons, and there one of the grand presidents, generally the last installed, held a session of the House. The prisoners were questioned, but without any formal judgment, all those whose case seemed favorable or who were not guilty of some capital offense were set at liberty." The revolutions of the last 80 years have produced in every country in Europe the secularization of society. That is to say, the effacing from our national customs and legislation of everything which had been introduced by the supernatural element of Christianity. The favorite theory of the last half century or more has been that all men are equal. The people of the ages is over 200 years ago, beloved, that Don Geringer wrote this. The people of the ages of faith had something far more convincing than theory of the sacredness of their rights. At the approach of those solemn anniversaries, which so forcibly remind us of the justice and mercy of God, they beheld princes abdicating, as it were, their scepter, leaving in God's hands the punishment of the guilty and assisting at the holy table of paschal communion side by side with those very men whom a few days before they had been keeping chained in prison for the good of society. There was one thought which during these days was strongly brought before all nations. It was the thought of God in whose eyes all men are sinners, of God from whom alone proceed justice and pardon. It was in consequence of this deep Christian feeling that we find so many diplomas and charts of the ages of faith speaking of the days of Holy Week as being the reign of Christ. Such an event, they say, happened on such a day under the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. When these days of holy and Christian equality were over, 
Did subjects refuse submission to their sovereigns? Did they abuse the humility of their princes and take occasion for drawing up what modern times call the rights of man? No. That same thought which had inspired human justice to humble itself before the cross of Jesus taught the people their duty of obeying the powers established by God, the exercise of power and submission to that power. Both had God for their motive. They who wielded the scepter might be of various dynasties. The respect for authority was ever the same. Nowadays, which is over 200 years ago, again, dear ones, nowadays, the liturgy has none of her ancient influence on society. And again, this is so tragic. And Dom Gerriger is writing in the 1800s. Religion, did I say 200 years ago, 500 years ago? Religion has been driven from the world at large, and our only life and power is now with the consciences of individuals. And as to political institutions, they are but the expression of human pride, seeking to command or refusing to obey. I still hold it, dear ones, that if Catholics live their faith, I don't care what percentage Catholics are of society, if Catholics live their faith, if they lived as if it were true, the world would be converted. We would not have the pagan society we have today. It is our fault. We have been given the greatest grace under heaven of anyone since Adam and Eve, more than Abraham, more than the Jewish people ever had because we have the Messiah and we have his graces and all the sacraments. We are most to blame. We are most accountable that the culture is so utterly corrupted that as I've said several times, you cannot tell Catholics from the rest of the world in practice or in dress or in speech. Dom Geringer says, and yet the fourth century, which in virtue of the Christian spirit produced the laws we have been alluding to, was still rife with the pagan element. How comes it that we, who live in the full light of Christianity, can give the name of progress to a system which tends to separate society from everything that is supernatural. Men may talk as they please. There is but one way to secure order, peace, morality, and security to the world. And that is God's way, the way of faith, of living in accordance with the teachings and the spirit of faith. All other systems can, at best, but flatter those human passions which are so strongly at variance with the mysteries of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we are now celebrating. We must mention another law made by the Christian emperors in reference to Holy Week. If the spirit of charity and a desire to imitate divine mercy led them to decree the liberation of prisoners, it was but acting consistently with these principles that during these days, when our Savior shed his blood for the emancipation of the human race, they should interest themselves in what regards slaves. Slavery, a consequence of sin, and the fundamental institution of the pagan world had received its death blow by the preaching of the gospel. But its gradual abolition was left to individuals 
and to their practical exercise of the principle of Christian fraternity. There's the music for our second break. Beloved, we will be right back after the break for your calls and emails. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for March 27th. Today we celebrate Lazarus. See how much he loved him. Those were the words spoken by Jews about Lazarus and his feelings for Jesus. Today we remember the deep devotion of Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, as well as the close friend of Jesus who raised him from the dead. Much about the life of Lazarus remains a mystery, but legends abound about how he lived following the death and resurrection of his beloved friend. One story has Lazarus following Peter into Syria. Another story has Lazarus, Martha, and Mary landing safely in Cyprus after being put into a leaky boat by upset local citizens. After that, the story continues, Lazarus served as bishop for 30 years and had a peaceful death. Devotion to Lazarus was strong from the earliest of times. A church was built in his honor in Constantinople, and some relics, thought to be his, were transferred there in the year 890. In Africa, the gospel of the raising of Lazarus was read on Palm Sunday. None of us shares Lazarus' first-hand knowledge of returning from the grave, but we share his belief that one day, Jesus will raise us again. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up on that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. I have a reminder here um, from the spring um, appeal, the fundraising appeal, which I... I'm amazed that the Station of the Cross does only twice a year. And it says, although our on-air appeal is not taking place until the first week of May, our spring appeal is well underway, and we graciously ask for your support so that we can continue to broadcast Mother Miriam Live and all the other great Catholic programs on the Station of the Cross. The theme of our appeal is, Lord, hear our prayers. As part of the appeal, we are featuring a prayer wall. Listen to this. I think this is first, at least first I know about. A prayer wall at thestationofthecross.com where you can post your prayer intentions 
other listeners will pray for your intentions. And you can even be notified when someone prays for you. Isn't it beautiful, beloved? When we go into a church, (coughs) why do we light candles in a church? The candles are our incense. The incense, the prayers of the saints rising up to God. So when I go into a church and I see so many candles lit, I join in the prayers with my bro- of my brothers and sisters who lit them, and I ask God to answer their prayers. That's what we do for one another. And that's what will happen at the prayer wall at the Station of the Cross. When we go onto the prayer wall, we pro- post our own prayers, and we pray for others uh, who have made their needs known. Other listeners will pray for your intentions. You can even be notified when someone prays for you. Wow. To donate now, call one 711 8500 or you can visit thestationofthecross.com and donate online. You can use your iCatholic Radio app or return the envelope from the recent mailing from the Station of the Cross. Thank you, beloved. May God bless you for your generosity. I keep thinking that every time I come on the Station of the Cross, Monday through Friday, it's because of all of you, completely donor-supported, totally. Okay, now, you're welcome. Our lines are open. You're welcome to call in or email with anything on your heart. We have an email from Martin who says, Hello, Mother. Thank you so much for your program. I was wondering how we should think about the rulership of government of our home nations. When the ruler or other government of your country is implicitly or explicitly opposed to Catholicism, it seems easy to reject it as much as possible. But I know that the English are supposed to pray for their king after Sunday Mass, even though the king is Anglican and a Catholic cannot even legally be in line to the throne. And I've read stories of saints like St. Maurice, who was Christian, but still served loyally in the Roman army until he was martyred for refusing to worship idols. To what extent are Catholics allowed or obligated to serve their government or even acknowledge its its legitimacy when that government is not in harmony with the faith? Thank you again, and God bless you, Martin. Martin, we are to imitate St. Maurice. We are, as he did, To serve, he served in the Roman army, we are to serve in the army of our country. Um, And the only thing that came against him and that made him a martyr was refusing to worship idols. Um, Let me just see now. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, let every person, Romans chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities For there is no authority except from God. And you say, you mean God has President Biden and other evil rulers in position? Yes. Why? I can't answer from God's heart. But he has allowed us reap the the sad, awful fruits of our turning away from him, including Catholics. Catholics have put the last several presidents in office. If we lived our faith, they would not be in office. God is allowing us to have the fruit of our sin. Whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed. 
and those who resist will incur judgment, Paul writes to the Romans. For rulers are not a terror for, to good contact, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Do what is good, and you will receive its approval. Now, in our day, in order to receive approval from the government, you have to do what is sinful, and that's where you draw the line. We pray for our president. We pray for the king. We pray for all those in authority. We pray for our Holy Father. We pray for everyone in authority, even though they're against the faith. I'll, I'll just say straight out, the Holy Father has taught much against the faith, much that is not consistent with Catholic doctrine and truth. Do we pray for him? Many times a day we pray for him in our community. You must pray for him every day. We pray for God to uh, protect him, to uh, convert his heart fully to the truth in every single instant. We pray for the protection of the faithful through his office. Christ is building his church. It's not dependent upon who has the office. Is the Pope the successor of Peter? Yes, even Peter failed. God is on his throne. So yes, um, we pray for rulers. We pray for all those in authority because it's the prayer of Christians that may uh, result in their conversion. So the government doesn't have to be in harmony with the faith. It has to simply not demand anything of us that is against the faith or sinful. And when that happens, we do not follow, but we do not cease to pray for those in office. We have an email from the one who writes in anonymously and says, is a Catholic spiritually permitted to marry an atheist, even if the atheist is an otherwise well-intentioned individual and agrees to raise their children in the faith? Absolutely not. A Catholic is not permitted to marry an atheist. Uh, Apostle Paul says to not be unequally yoked. What fellowship has Christ with Belial? Belial is Satan. If you marry an atheist, you are marrying Christ to Satan. And the atheist is not well-intentioned as an atheist and agrees to raise the children in the faith. An atheist cannot raise the children in the faith. The most, because the atheist doesn't know the faith. I mean, you can read books, that doesn't give you the faith, and it doesn't impart the faith. You cannot impart what you don't love. You cannot impart what you don't live. And so, uh, to agree to raise the children in the faith usually falls on the Catholic spouse and into the wedding, into years down the line. When the Catholic spouse says no contraception, then there becomes fights and divorce and all kinds of things. To agree to raise your children in the faith, you need to agree to not contracept, which is a grave evil and mortal sin. Very few atheists will agree to that. Absolutely not. If you marry an atheist, you are turning your back on Christ. We have an email from Michael who writes, Hi, Mother. Is there a reason why we ring the bells at the consecration? And is it different from other times we ring the bells at Mass? And is there a reason why that almost always gets left out of the Novus Ordo, besides people not just liking tradition or not knowing about it? The reason, dear Michael, we ring bells at the consecration 
is to draw attention to tr- the transubstantiation that takes place. It is to draw attention, to bring us to our knees, to help us stop chewing gum if we're so irreverent as to have anything in our mouth at Mass, to stop talking to our neighbor, to wake up if our hearts or minds have wandered, and pay attention to the fact that bread is becoming God, God, and that wine is becoming God, body, blood, soul, and divinity. That's why that we should not miss something so holy as that. And when it's wrong at other times during the Mass, it's for the same reason, to draw our attention to special times of the Mass, special transitions, special actions, but no time greater than that of the sacrifice of the Holy Eucharist. Um, The reason why... It almost gets left, almost always gets out of the Novus Ordo because much reverence has left the Novus Ordo. Um, women no longer cover their heads. Uh, men come as if they're going to the beach in thongs and shorts. It's tremendously irreverent. Um, and uh, m- many people don't even know what's going on. And the Eucharist is served in the hand, which is a tremendous sacrilege with crumbs all over the floor with people walking on Christ. There are Novus Ordos that are celebrated reverently where Mass is given kneeling and on the tongue with a proper patent under to catch any crumbs that may fall. We have an email from Paulina who writes, Good morning, I am a Unitarian Universalist, but enjoy your show. And I'm learning a lot. Well, blessed be God, Paulina. How do you know hell is real? We believe heaven is real, but our pastor says that the only hell we experience is the hell we create for ourselves here on earth by not loving others. Is she wrong? Thank you. Yes, she is wrong, Paulina. Um, It would be one's wish that the only hell that exists is the hell that we create for ourselves on earth because we would not voluntarily uh, throw ourselves into burning fire for all eternity. We would not do that. We would not put ourselves in a place on earth where we would grind our teeth and, and be in pain that we've never experienced before. No, no, no. That's humanity speaking. It has nothing to do with God. How, do, how is it that she believes in heaven? She hasn't been to heaven. She can't see heaven. How does she get heaven? She believes in heaven because God has put eternity in every heart to live with him. But if we refuse him, we go to hell. And heaven is the presence of God for all eternity. Hell is the absence of God for all eternity. And for your pastor to say she believes in heaven, there is more proof from the Bible that hell exists than heaven exists. Our Lord spoke of hell more than any other subject in the New Testament and more than he spoke of heaven. Uh, Paulina, have you, if you've not read the New Testament, I would encourage you to read it, dear one. And I, I would offer that you start with the Gospel of John. We have a, a note on YouTube from Marie, and Marie says, The future looks so bleak in our world. 
how can we combat feelings of despair about this? By knowing, Marie, that despair is mortal sin. When we despair, we lose hope. When we lose hope, we're really saying that there's no God. Or the God that exists can't help this, which means we don't know the God that exists. It means we're, we're, we believe in a God of our own imagining. There is no despair with God. That's why Judas is in hell for eternity, because he despaired, not just of his sin, but of God's mercy and forgiveness, and committed suicide. Um, we combat feelings of despair by trusting the God who gave his life for us and rose from the dead. Our eternity does not depend on this bleak world. It depends on our growing in holiness in Christ and being in the world and not of it. Marie, if you grow deep in your faith, read the entire Bible through, read the entire catechism through, get holy friends to pray with, pray the rosary every single day, you will not even think of despair. There's the music for our final break, beloved. Uh, we'll be right back and to take your calls and emails during our last 10 minutes. Please join us in a prayer to our guardian angel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. O holy guardian angel, take care of our soul and body. Enlighten our mind that we may know the Lord better and love him with all our heart. Help us in our prayers so that we may not give in to distractions. Assist us with your advice so that we may see the good and carry it out with generosity. Defend us from the insidious snares of the enemy and sustain us in temptations that we may always be victorious. Remedy our coldness in our worship of the Lord. Cease not to protect us until you have brought us into paradise where we will praise our good God together for all eternity. Amen. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current, Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Keep up to date with the shows we bring you each day on the Station of the Cross by viewing our programming grid on our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app, just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved. 
to Mother Miriam Live. I'm live, and I am she, and I'm thrilled to be with you. And this is our last uh, segment, which is 10 minutes. Our lines are open. You're still able to call in, if you wish, with anything at all on your heart. Toll-free 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from Jamie, Jamie who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I have a question about charity and mortal sin. I have heard or read somewhere that a person in mortal sin is incapable of true charity. Is this true? It's absolutely true, Jamie. Uh, When a person's in mortal sin, they are separated from God. The grace of God, the very life of God, uh, has left them because they have turned from God by their choice. And there's no love apart from God. There absolutely is no charity. There's human love, but that means nothing. There's an old saying that I heard uh, back in my Protestant years. It's only one life, and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Apart from him, Jesus said, we can do nothing. We can do a lot on our own, but it means nothing for eternity. And so we can do no good work. If we're in mortal sin, we can, we can do a lot of good works that we think are good works, but they mean nothing to God. And if we have turned our back on God and basically spitted him by our own choice, that's what happens. Otherwise, it's not mortal sin. It's our choice. In full knowledge, we've committed grave sin, which turns us from God and which puts another nail in the cross through him. Um, there's no such thing as true charity when you hate God. You say, I don't hate God. Oh, yes, you do. And so do I. To commit mortal sin is to prefer our sin over God. It is to prefer he be crucified rather than we give up the passing pleasures of sin. We have an email from Paul who says, can you please share with us some of your favorite talks you've ever given and where we might be able to find those or perhaps appearances you've made on podcasts, television, other radio programs. I'd love to hear more. Oh, dear Paul, I don't know where they all are. I've done uh, a little more than 100 programs on EWTN live video programs. I did three series with Christine Franklin. Well, two, two series with Christine, uh, Household of Faith, and Now That We're Catholic. And then I did three seasons of Reasons for Our Hope, um, all on EWTN, plus Mother Mira Angela Live, Mother Angelica Live, and um, Coming Home Network, and um, several others, uh, John Etbankovic, uh, several others. So if you go to EWTN's store or shop or um, archives or whatever it is, uh, you'll be able to find them. I've also given, I think my favorite talks have been at the Coming Home Network. I haven't given many there, but um, I've, I've given two or three, which really have turned out to be my favorite. Um, one of them is titled The Barren Harvest of Protestantism, and that's because when I was Protestant, I heard a startling tape by a very wonderful man of God named John Rao, R-A-O, and um, he uh, taped the Protestant, the um, 
uh, Barrett Harvest of Protestantism. And I spent 18 years as a Protestant trying to save Catholics. I said, what do you mean the Barrett Harvest of Protestantism? I wasn't Catholic yet. You have no idea what it is to be Protestant. So I listened to it. And to my shock, it began to make me think of the enormous loss that Protestantism has given to me, to Protestants, and to the world. And I met with John Rao, and he had a good, um, good part in my becoming Catholic. And years later, when Marcus Grodi asked me to speak at the, um, um, oh, um, def- not Defending the Faith Conference, but, uh, well, yes, thank you, thank you, James, my producer, James. He's so wonderful. He's right on the ball. He helps me with everything. Deep in History Conference. Um, um, I gave a talk, and I um, toughened up and said, I'm going to give that talk, The Barren Harvest of Protestantism. I knew it would offend a lot of people, the title, but I gave it, and it's so true. In fact, James just reminded me that the Station of the Cross is going to be airing that talk. It's from the 2004 Coming Home Network Deep in History Conference, and um and he says, listeners should stay tuned for that. It's excellent. Well, um, we don't have a date scheduled for it, but you know there are times we have to run an encore. And so it might be at the first opportunity for that encore that the Station of the Cross will air that talk. But you can even go before then or um, go Coming Home Network. Um, I've been on a journey home, I think, five times now with Marcus Grodi. Um, So, Paul, I hope that does it. And radio, I've been on radio for 25 years through Catholic Answers and um, Immaculate Heart Radio and and others, and now, blessed be God, Station of the Cross. So uh, there might be archives all over the place. Okay. We have a comment from Anna on YouTube. Lent seems to be going so quickly. How can I make the most of the rest of it? Anna, that's a beautiful and perfect question for this program as we almost conclude. I don't know if we'll, we'll have to end it after this answer, but we have this Passion Tide, these last two weeks of Lent. So I say to you, Anna, and to everyone, um, many of us have failed in our Lenten reserves. I have. I will let you know I have failed in my Lenten intentions. Have I failed completely? No. Have I failed largely? I think I have. And um, we, we fail, we start again, we always start again, because to not start again is the only failure. But now we have two weeks, and I would say we should um, double our efforts, triple them, to live these two weeks in holiness, to fast, um, and to treat them truly as holy. Um, try to go to Mass every day if you can. Read the Scriptures every day. Pray the Rosary every day. Read a good book to meditate on the passion of our Lord. There's so many out there. Um, and practice virtue. Pick at least one virtue. You might be weak in 20 virtues. Pick one that you think would most please God. It might be forgiveness. It might be true charity. Um, And put that to practice these two weeks. 
and begin to fast a little more, like the early Christians. Begin to give up, if you're giving up chocolate, give up five things, or give up milk for the last two weeks, a meat product. Um, We give up meat the entire Lent. You can try that as well, giving up meat for all of Lent, uh, for these past two weeks. Um, Walk with Christ through these two weeks, and read the scriptures in the four Gospels that speak of his death. Read from the final Passover in every Gospel, from the final Passover until his death on Calvary in all four Gospels. And walk with him and tell him you love him and that you are going to make an effort from this point on to truly be in the world and not of it, to women be modest, long skirts, no sleeveless, nothing low cut, nothing tight. It wouldn't hurt you to have a beautiful scarf on your head. Men, wear suits, jackets with or without ties, shoes, not sneakers. Be holy, be modest, act like men, and draw closer to Christ who is the man for you to imitate. God bless you, beloved, and God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow.